Today's reading uh, is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. And if you're using the uh, NIV version of the Bible, it's on page 786. 786. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the lights of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, James. If you can have your Bibles open um, to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, that'd be great. And let me find a clicker. But uh, let's pray that God will speak to us through these words. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, that it, even as it is ancient, Lord, it speaks to us in our situation today. And Lord, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you make these words your living words that shape and change the way that we think and way that we live our lives, that we might truly be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you think about it, they're really grandiose statements, aren't they? You know people who are full of themselves and sort of people who walk into their, uh, each room and they command and demand uh, attention because they think that they are the most interesting people. They're the most important people in the room. But look at the people that Jesus is speaking to. If you were here last week, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This, these are people, these were sort of nobodies who had gathered. These seemingly insignificant people who gather to, uh, at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain to hear Jesus, to them, to women and children, poor and mostly irrelevant men, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. The scope of it is so grand that it's impossible to believe. They're not just salt and light of the room or the city or the province. They are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world. And think of the importance of these statements, right? In a world that didn't have any refrigeration, salt preserved food. It enabled you to eat something throughout the winter. In a world without electricity, where the only light at night is the, the, uh, the stars and the moon, they're called the light. Those who are poor, mourning and meek and hungry, thirsty, merciful, pure in heart, despite their worldly status, they become important. They become salt and light of the world. They are what Israel failed to be through Jesus Christ. Is that how you think of yourselves? Is that what we are, salt of the earth, the light of the world? 
But this is the case only, only if we remain salty. Only if we do not hide our light. And that warning comes as quickly as the affirmation, doesn't it? But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And what's true of salt is also true of the light. What uses light? If you light something up and hide it under a bowl. Here's what being, a, being salt and light means. It means that we are distinct. That we are different from the rest of the world. We are made to stand out. And salt is only useful, only if it's salty. Light is only useful against the darkness of the night. And I'm sure you know people who call themselves Christians, people who choose but choose not to stand out as Christians. Instead of being the stinging salt or light against the dark world, they're more like chameleons. They change colors depending on the situation in order not to stand out, in order to fit in against the rest of the environment. People don't even know. People, uh, they work in the same workplace for five years, seven years, but people don't even know that they're Christians. And they think that that's the, the way it's supposed to be. I just came back from a vacation in Philippines, Korea and Philippines, and one of the things that I liked most about it was how Christian the country seemed to be. The hotel that I stayed in uh, advertised a Catholic mass on Saturday. And uh, in the room where I stayed in, there was a Bible verse uh, printed there. Everywhere I turned were churches, but I know the Filipinos are the first ones to tell you that the country struggles with corruption, drug addiction, and other vices. Where is the saltiness of all the Christians? U.S. is no better. A few years, years back, the Americans, many Americans uh, advocated for Ten Commandments to be placed in ten Kentucky courthouses. But when asked if they knew the content of the Ten Commandments, actually, they didn't know what was in it. Fifty percent of the people uh, didn't know that uh, honoring the parents was in the Ten Commandments. 30, only 34 percent knew that uh, uh, keeping the Sabbath was in it. Uh, only 29 percent could recall do not make idols. Often we call ourselves Christians, but sometimes we don't even know what it means to be a Christian. How can we be salty when we don't even know what that means? In many ways, liberal theology that has accommodated to the culture is salt that's lost in saltiness. And one prime example is, is the German church. In 1933, almost 60 million, all of 60 million Germans identify themselves as Christians. And with the exception of a few confessing churches, for many different reasons, Christians remain silent against the ideology of Aryan superiority, extermination of the Jewish people. Salt that's lost its saltiness. What use is it? Light that's hiding its light. What use is it? There's so many reasons why we lose our saltiness or hide our light. Part of it is that we bow to the pressures of the culture. That's what happened in Germany. That's what's happened, I think, in many liberal circles, in liberal Christian circles. And I'm sure it would surprise many of you, and maybe it wouldn't uh, to some of you, that actually there are people who call themselves Christians but who've abandoned 
the biblical revelation about God's wrath, the, the seriousness of sin and hell, Jesus' death on our behalf to pay for our sins, the historical reality of the resurrection. People don't believe in these things, but still call themselves Christians. It's no wonder that they've walked away from biblical view of marriage and sexuality. I think one example that we face in Hong Kong each day on this sort of accommodated Christian, Christianity is the theology of the prosperity gospel. The false gospel which says trusting in God means health and wealth today. Isn't this an example of Christianity that is conformed to the culture that values health and wealth above all things? They think that is the goal. That is why we exist here on earth, to be healthy and wealthy. But if we're honest, it's not just the culture. It's not just our affair, is it? Often we're not salty because we choose not to be salty, not to shine because of our own desires and idols in our hearts. Reese in our preaching meeting said that actually people don't want to be stinging salt. They want to be, they want to be cinnamon. <laughs> they want to be uh, something nicer than salt. And if we don't stand out, uh, if, we're, uh, if we don't stand out, uh, even as we come to church, even as we have the appearance of godliness, it might be because of the idols in our hearts because we want the same things that the rest of Hong Kongers and the rest of the world wants. Status and comfort and money and power, nice vacations, approval from people, popularity. And we want to be popular so we don't speak against our friends who are going drinking every weekend, who are considering adultery. We watch terrible TV shows and do terrible things because we don't want to be left out of conversations around the water coolers. We don't want to be left out of the corporate climbing ladder. It might not even be idols, though, that makes us lose our saltiness. It might actually just be laziness. Often we choose not to, be, not to shine because of our laziness. It's easier just to blend in, not to live differently from everybody else. It takes conscious effort to stand out. And in this Asian culture of conformity, who wants to stand out? Who wants to live different, draw attention to themselves by speaking out or living differently? But friends, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And you see, that's why God chose us. God chose us to be different, to shine, to be salty. If we hide our light, we're useless. And if we lose our saltiness... Jesus says, we'll be, we'll be thrown away and trampled. And, that's, and this is why it's so important to be salty and to be light. If we live our lives distinctly as Christians, as we're called to be, then we will preserve this world from going bad. I forgot to bring it, but uh, you might, uh, th th this dish that I had in this uh, fridge, I was going to bring it, but I totally forgot this morning. This is called kenyip, um, uh, uh, and it's a Korean dish. It's a sesame, a sesame uh, leaf dish. Uh, it's been sitting around in my refrigerator for around a year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and we ate some yesterday, and you, 
ask, how is that possible here? Are, are you not worried that you might get sick? Well, I was slightly worried, <laughs> but I know that it was still okay. You know why? Because it's saturated with salt. It's saturated with salt, and salt is preservative, and it was fine. I didn't, yeah, I'm fine today, so. <laughs> and that's how primarily salt was used in that culture, right? And do you see what Jesus is implying, though, when he calls us salt? When he calls us salt, what he implies is that the world will go bad if left to itself. That it will morally and culturally decay on its own. And we see this happening right in, in Ch- Genesis chapter 3. As soon as Adam and, and Eve uh, want to make the rule for themselves and do their own thing, what happens in chapter 4? Cain kills Abel. And actually, left on their own, the world progressively goes bad until God has to clean it up with the flood. In my vacation, we visited also a place called uh, um, Yodo Gardens. Uh, it was a beautiful place. It was an island. Uh, a couple of people uh, had this vision of making an Eden-like place, and it was just really beautiful. But it was beautiful because it was worked and take, uh, taken care of every day by the caretakers, left on its own, this will decay. It will be taken over by wildflowers. It, it will go bad. And what's true of this garden is true of the world. The world left on its own will fall apart. It will go into disorder, chaos, and, uh, and because of the wickedness of our hearts. And everything is like this. Human relationships, if you think about it, will go sour unless you choose to work at it. Those of you know who have healthy marriages, 30 years, ask Patty and, and, and David. They worked on their marriages. Financial institutions will fall to greed and inequality unless there are efforts made to put in good regulations. Unless there are good checks and balances, governments will go bad. It will go towards dictatorship and exploitation. Organizations without good leadership will fall apart. And we often complain about the state of government in Hong Kong, financial industry, entertainment industry. But you see, as Mike mentioned in the very beginning of the service, if Hong Kong government goes bad, whose fault is it? If the financial industry goes sour, whose fault is that? If the entertainment industry is filled with trash, is that simply the, the fault of the people who work in that industry? See what Jesus is saying. No, Jesus is saying it is our responsibility, the Christians. The world left on its own is expected to go bad. It has tendency to distort justice, take advantage of the poor uh, and the ignorant, and produce trashy entertainment. So Christians, as salt and light of the world, we are, to, we are there to prevent these from happening. Here's an example. Niels knew of a real estate executive in, in London. And that industry, real estate industry, is you know, filled with lies. And people lie all the time. It's notorious. It's given that everybody else lies. And so the employees of this company thought, well, why, why should we be left, uh, left out? Why should we be in disadvantage by trying to be honest? But this man is a Christian, and he believed that his call to, uh, to be salt in his industry is more important than making profit. 
So he asked all his employees not to lie, not to bend the truth, and be honest about the properties that they're selling. You see what he's done? He's preserved that company from going bad. And it might not be something as big as that, right? But if you're a Christian, and people know you to be a Christian, you just being in within your family, within your company, within your friendship uh, circles might be preventing it from going bad. People might stop gossiping in the office when you walk in. Your friends might think twice about telling a rude joke in your presence or going off for another drink. You might be uh, there in the company to keep them from lying and stealing and doing bad things. You might be the moral conscience of the group. And let me tell you, it is difficult. It is difficult to be um, the moral conscience of your group. It is difficult to be the one that stops others from doing bad things. But once again, friends, you are the salt of the earth and light of the world. You are there to preserve God, that's the reason why God put you where you are. And that's also the reason why Christians need to be in every industry. Uh, in that, uh, the, my, I saw my mom, uh, so I was in Korea for the first week for four days, and then we went to the Philippines for a week. Uh, and I, when I was there with my mom, I saw my mom making that dish, that sesame leaf uh, dish. Um, and she didn't just sprinkle salt on the leaf. That's not what she did, right? She put lots and lots of salt and then put lots and lots of soy sauce. And what she did was she boiled the whole thing so that she closed the lid, she boiled the whole thing so that that saltiness gets soaked in into every fiber of that leaf. And if you've, you know, the beef jerky is the same thing. You don't just sprinkle salt on it, right? In order to make beef jerky last, you take a handful of beef, a handful of salt and and rub it in against the grain of the meat. It needs to be there. Friends, that's what God has done with you. You see that? God has called you into his wonderful light, and God has rubbed you in into every industry in Hong Kong. Right? We, are, we have people in real estate. Uh, we have people in hospitals and banks and government and universities and law firms and medicine and justice system hotels, homes, and wherever you are. God has put you there for this purpose. Do not lose your saltiness. Salt is not just a preservative, though. It's also seasoning. It brings out uh, best taste in food as well. It makes things taste good. And for this point, actually, Jesus, I think, switches metaphor, and we should do that as well. You are then the light of the world. You shine. What are you shining? It's in verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's your goodness and your good deeds that are supposed to shine. We're bringing God's goodness into this world, bringing the best out of this world, changing the world for the better. And we talked about just how Christians are there to stop the government from going, uh, going bad, but we're to do much more than that. It can be much, much more than that. It should be a force to change the world for good. And when Christians dare to be different, we have seen this in history. 
You know about the uh, you know about William Wilberforce and other Christians who have freed slavery and abolished uh, slavery in the UK. We also see Christians reforming Christ, uh, prisons, building orphanages, educating the poorest of the poor. I mean, some of the best, some of the schools in Hong Kong, right? The Anglican schools were built. Uh, now they're the best schools in Hong Kong. But when they were built, they were built to, to educate the poor. People fight against racism. That work continues. Our mission partners, like Christian Action, help the refugees and asylum seekers, give legal advice to domestic helpers who don't have any other resource. Crossroads Foundation provide relief to the most vulnerable around the world, empower Asia, mentors and guides young people in Hong Kong. Norwegian Missionary Society leads many development work around the world. Dankalan Christian Church spreads not only the good news of Jesus, but helps the community through their good deeds. But it, of course, it's not just the mission organizations. It's not just the missionaries that are supposed to be doing this. We are the light of the world. And I know that many of you do this in your workplace because you go to the workplace with a different attitude. You know, many people go to their workplace to get something out of it, right? What can I get out of this place? And many of you go into the workplace to serve. How can I serve my employees? How can I serve my customers? You're shining Christ's light in your workplace. Having great teachers who are Christians who really care for their students, it can, it can change a student's life. A manager who is there to empower employees and mentor the young people there can change the culture of the company. Engineers and architects who build beautiful and safe bridges and buildings and tunnels. Domestic helpers who are working hard and, and are honest and good at their jobs. Right? These are all shining a light of Christ. And I felt this very keenly when we were, I was fairly vulnerable when Mary and I had, uh, well, Mary had the miscarriage. I think it was the third one. We rushed into uh, Prince Wales Hospital. And needless to say, I mean, we were just devastated. And we were, we were, we were worried. We were scared. But when the doctor saw us, we could tell clearly he didn't really care. He wasn't there to care for people. He seemed annoyed and rude. I know that doctors, with, I know that there are doctors here, they're sitting there, and the people who, if you care in your, in your workplace for the people, it can make all the difference. You're there to serve. You're there to light. Let your, you're there to shine that light. Let your light shine before others. And in, in this series over the summer on the Sermon on the Mount, we'll hear more about how to live differently, what it means to live differently, not being angry, forgiving those who have wronged us, being committed to sexual purity and to our marriages, turning the other cheek, loving our enemies, being generous, not worrying but trusting God in all things, storing up treasures in heaven, or to let our light shine before others that they may see our good deeds and glorify God, our Father in heaven. Friends, we've sometimes bought into the lie that, that uh, religion, that Christianity is something that is private, that should remain private. Well, could I tell you that it's never private? You know, when people know that you're a Christian, you live your life publicly as a Christian. Your faith is public, and your public witness 
is of utmost importance because you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Believe it or not, without us, without the church, the world, Jesus says, will fall apart. The world will go its bad ways. Now you might go, well, you might feel like that. You might feel like you are the salt of the earth and light of the world, but I don't because I struggle with my Christian faith because I'm I'm a hypocrite. Well, that's true of me as well. I struggle with my faith. I struggle not to be a hypocrite. But remember last week, Niels quoted Isaiah 59, and Isaiah 59 tells us that we're sinners, that we are people who are separated from God by our, our, our iniquities and people from whom God hid his face because of our sins. But then it says, blessed are you. Blessed are you because God came. In fact, Isaiah 60 starts out with these words. The next chapter, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and the thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Jesus came. God, who is uh, who, who, who said in our midst, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the, the light of life. Left on my own, I'm just like the world. I'm bent toward sins. I bend toward decay. I tend to conform to the patterns of this world. But Jesus came. He shines his light, and he came to you and me through the power of the Spirit. And as we seek him, as we follow him, as we cling to him, I know that I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that our salvation has come Through Jesus Christ, the light that the world has been longing for has come. And Lord, we pray that we would cling to you, that we would seek after you, that we would live in you, that we might be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.